Welcome to Honestly Haunted. haunted. As Abby and I mentioned last episode, from now until the current pandemic ends, we won't be visiting locations for our own safety and the safety of others. Despite that, though, we will still be bringing you stories of haunted places, diving into the story, and giving you a verdict. Also, (laughs) we are two days late. We know, we know. It's quarantine. We needed a minute. And I haven't really worn pants in days, let's be real. Pants are non-essential. 100%. Today we'll be talking about the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum in West Virginia. For anyone who may not be familiar with the term, an asylum is a psychiatric hospital. Obviously, by today's standards, calling a place lunatic asylum is not really appropriate anymore. But I think that in itself kind of brings up a good point. This asylum opened its doors in 1864, And mental health and mental illness was not well understood during this time. I mean, mental illness is still taboo, even to this day. So when it was understood even less, I can only imagine places meant to take in those suffering must have been shrouded in darkness and fear. Absolutely. But even though mental illness and psychiatry were not well understood when the asylum first opened its doors, there were still many theories that attempted to help those who were suffering. The building itself is designed in the Kirkbride plan. This plan is basically an architectural design of buildings created by a Philadelphia psychiatrist, Thomas Story Kirkbride. He advocated for a building structure that included exposure to natural light, well-circulated air, and used a bat wing style floor plan that had wings sprawling out from a center area. This type of building was pretty groundbreaking. Before the use of such buildings, people who were deemed lunatics were being kept in terrible conditions, in private homes, in basements, and even put in jail. The open features, while creating somewhat imposing buildings, really proved to be a step in the right direction when it came to morally caring for the mentally ill. Like other Kirkbride Plan hospitals, the building was meant to house around 250 patients, but these buildings were huge. This specific hospital is actually the largest hand-cut stone masonry building in North America, and second largest in the world, second to the Kremlin. That's crazy. (laughs) Talk about imposing. It's also said that the Kirkbride Plan buildings were actually the inspiration for H.P. Lovecraft's Arkham Asylum. So that can definitely give you an idea about their imposing structures. The Kirkbride Plan was more than just a building, though. It was a whole system. Kirkbride Plans involved how many people needed to be on staff, where certain people would be roomed based on the severity of illness, and more. So now that we have an understanding of why and how this building came to be, let's talk about why people claim it's haunted. It's actually labeled one of the most haunted places in America. Yeah, and it's been explored by some really major ghost hunter groups and shows. It's been on ghost stories and sci-fi's ghost hunters. The podcast Laura also discussed it. Yeah, so for a system that seemed to be uplifting and a step in the right direction, what happened that made the Trans-Allegheny Asylum haunted? Well, in 1881, there was an increase in diagnoses of mental health issues. 
While initially that may have been a good thing, it led to the hospital going from its standard 250 residents to having over 750. As would be expected, conditions began to decline due to overpopulation. Patients were now sometimes four to five to a room in a place that was designed to have all patients in rooms alone. The compound's farm and dairy farm were designed to provide for about 300 people, and being unable to meet the higher demand from overcrowding, patients began to suffer from malnutrition. By 1938, the hospital was six times over its original capacity. As a result, the patients were basically roaming free, and the orderlies had little to no control over what was happening. At its peak in the 1950s, the hospital was allegedly holding 2,600 patients, which is more than 10 times the number it was built for. Around this time, a newspaper, the Charleston Gazette, actually sent in a crew to look at the conditions. They were terrified by what they saw. Patients were found sleeping on floors and in freezing rooms that had no heat. Overworked staff had basically abandoned hygienic practices. Windows were covered in grime, darkening the hallways that were built specifically for light, and wallpaper was peeling off the walls from decay and from patients scratching it off. Patients that were deemed to be uncontrollable were basically locked in cages in an attempt to make room for other patients. On top of all the terrible conditions, Asylum became a training and experimentation center for lobotomies. Walter Freeman, the infamous surgeon and lobotomy advocate, opened up shop at the asylum for his dark work. Freeman allegedly performed 4,000 lobotomies during his lifetime, which often left perfectly healthy people with lasting physical and mental damage. For those who may not know, a lobotomy is a type of psychosurgery that involves severing the connections in the brain's prefrontal cortex. It was used widely for about two decades, and mostly on women. While some symptoms showed improvements in patients, it was often at severe cost to the patient's overall well-being. Walter Freeman is known for his ice pick method of lobotomy, which was really bad. Lobotomies were terrible, and Freeman's style was yet somehow worse. The method essentially takes a pointed rod, similar to an ice pick, and slipping it into the patient's eye socket. Then they use a hammer to force it in, which severs the prefrontal cortex of the brain. As you can imagine, this very graphic method resulted in many deaths. By the time the asylum closed its doors, only one part of its grounds had been expanded, and that was the graveyard. Expanded to meet a higher demand. Many of those laid in these cemeteries were bodies of patients whose families never came to claim them. When the expose from the Gazette was finally published, there was a movement to close down the hospital, but it shockingly took over 30 years to do so. The hospital finally shut its doors after nearly a century of operating in poor conditions in 1994. The once beautiful, open, ornate building that held so much promise in its field was left abandoned with rusting medical equipment, rusted furniture, even wheelchairs sit in the hallways as if patients simply stood up and disappeared. The building was purchased by a man named Joe Jordan and reopened partially in 2007 for tour operations. Let's talk about some particularly haunting tales out of the hospital. Obviously, it was open for a long time, so there are a number of grim stories. Besides lobotomies, there were other inhumane treatments taking place there as well. This included bloodletting, insulin treatments, and ice-cold hydrotherapy. The apothecary held some of the common, quote, 
quote-unquote treatments, which included heroin, bourbon, and cannabis. When the patients were pretty much free to do as they liked due to overcrowding, a lot of violence occurred. Several fires were set by patients, including one in 1935 that caused over $155,000 worth of damage. There were a number of wards and wings for specific types of patients. For example, there was a ward specifically for World War I vets suffering from PTSD, although not fully understood at the time as such. So let's talk a little bit about the types of patients admitted to this hospital. In the 1800s, many people could be deemed a so-called lunatic for any number of reasons. Women in particular were very vulnerable to being put in asylums for reasons such as just being unreasonable or wanting to participate in politics, not being a good wife, and so, so much more. Not that men were fully safe either. Uh, there were reports of men being placed in asylums for things as, you know, serious as alcoholism to as benign as dog bites. In our research, we found a paper from the asylum itself listing some of the reasons for charging patients between the years of 1864 and 1889. We'll post this picture for you all, but let me read off a few of those reasons for you. Asthma. Bad company. Bad habits and political excitement. Bite of rattlesnake. Brain fever. Congestion of brain. Death of sons in war. Deranged masturbation. Desertion by husband. Dog bite. Domestic trouble. Explosion of a shell nearby. Fell from a horse in war. Social disease. Moral sanity. Nymphomania. Opium habit. Parents were cousins. Religious enthusiasm or excitement. Sunstroke and superstition. <laughs> wow. So that is all over the place. It goes from basically nothing more than just being a woman to really extreme. It's also interesting to see how many of those things are something happening in war. There's this clear idea that so many men being admitted are soldiers, but not an actual understanding yet about PTSD. The asylum doesn't have very good records that can still be found, and often they didn't keep solid enough records to begin with, so it's tough to pinpoint exact patients' names in the years that they were present. The patient profile changed a bit in the 1980s, and the hospital began to hold more and more of what would be called criminally insane patients. A number of these criminally insane patients would be held in the same rooms as each other, because that's a good idea, in one room, now grimly called the bedpost murder room, two patients tortured a third. They would repeatedly hang him from the ceiling with a bedsheet until he passed out. Then, they laid him on the ground and put the metal bed frame post on his head, holding it there while one of them jumped up and down on the bed until the frame pierced his brain. Yikes. <laughs> while the hospital was open, many patients created different forms of art that have actually been kept and put on display in various rooms. And in 2004, the hospital was actually briefly opened as three separate museums, one to the Civil War slash military history, toys, oddly enough, and mental health. Closed down very shortly after opening due to fire code violations, but one of the murderers of the bedpost murder actually had a mask he had made on display. Displaying the art of murderers just invites ghosts and dark energy. So there's a lot to unpack about this location. In a way, it's a little different than some of the ones we've shared before because there's only like a few kind of specific stories of hauntings, but there's a reason why ghost hunters international and all these places have been researched by 
in people interested in the paranormal over the past couple of years. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's interesting because unlike some of the stories we've told, there really are not clear records. And actually, like a number of stories we've told, the, the records are not clear. But what is clear are all of these people's experiences going into this place after it's been closed and, and repeatedly feeling or seeing or experiencing some of the same types of things in the same rooms as other people. And as we've discussed with, you know, human energy and human spirit being and attaching itself to locations, I could not, you could not pick a better location to experience those things than an insane asylum. Yeah. Like, it's like the token child for hauntings. Like, you think of some of the most horrifying movies you've ever seen, generally, in an insane asylum. Completely, you know, I mean, because because we think about the people that were put there, and first of all, in a really basic sense, we have people who are mentally troubled, you know, we have people who are experiencing illness, but then, on top of that, we have a whole lot of people who were put there who were not actually mentally ill, and think of the toll that that would have on people, the amount of people who got lobotomies, who probably... 100% yeah, didn't who, need them. Yeah, well, well first of all, nobody, nobody needed needs, a lobotomy. <laughs> nobody needs a lobotomy. But, like, people who, who were like, oh, I have a headache, and Walter Freeman is like, let me put an ice pick in your brain. That should do the trick. No yeah. more headaches. Like, that is literally real-life horror story right there. Yeah, or being, being committed by a husband saying that she's you know, not a good wife or has social anxiety or hysteria. Right. And one of the things that you said in from that list wasn't even just like a husband put someone there. If your husband left you, you could be placed there. What? Because it's obviously some sort of <laughs> obviously your fault. <laughs> psychotic break that you've had that caused your husband to leave you. There, There is so... I, I feel like we could do five episodes about like the... It, uh, the impact of like women's place in psychiatric history and that would have nothing to do with our actual <laughs> topic of, of podcast but there's so so much that I think it's it's just worth taking like a minute to note that that women in particular had were, were very vulnerable in in these types of places and at this place in particular especially when it came to treatment and being placed there in the first place lobotomies most, most people who got lobotomies were unfortunately women. And I, I mean, I can't think of historically kind of a more tragic approach than the long and like horrifying road that is like the discovery of mental health and mental issues, uh, you know, th throughout time, you know, there's, there's nothing been more tragic than our misunderstanding of the human brain and the trauma that it endures and what mental health can and mean to different people and the ways that we've babies basically just like slapped a band-aid on it and a really crappy band-aid yeah completely i i i am a huge huge advocate for mental health and for you know changing our systems and changing the way we talk about things um but you know that's that's even today i'm saying hey we should be more open we should talk about things more imagine now when this place first opened and people didn't have any type of language for what they were experiencing and then they were saying hey let's try all sorts of things and you think about the Kirkbride plan and you're like 
some of those things they tried were great. That was let's, definitely a step in the right yeah, direction. Let's like, give people more air. Let's let's make sure that they have more exposure to light, vitamin D, you know, all that sort of stuff. So at least at that point, we could determine like putting people in cages <laughs> is in bad. Dark cells with Not no good. sunlight, and also like confining them to singular spaces. You know, isolating yeah. them were all things that they're like, this clearly isn't working. So what can we do better? So giving those really tall ceilings, which is yeah. like what makes kind of it look now as the paint is peeling and imposing and <laughs> medical equipment left askew looks very odd. So it looks very creepy now, but at the time, like that was revolutionary and it probably would have worked if, right. the, if like, the numbers were not so packed. That's in. what's so upsetting is like, imagine, imagine the types of lives that could have been saved if that, direction had stayed its course but the overcrowding that happened so so soon after they opened their doors they didn't really even have a chance yeah and and it it just immediately brought them back to cages to confining people in dark spaces because they didn't have the support in place to be able to take care of of that many people but Um. to bring this whole discussion back to why we chose this location to research in the first place like obviously there's a lot of like social commentary on the history of the location and and some of the stories that we found but it does boil back to why are locations like this so frequently haunted 100%. We've talked about this in a bunch of different episodes now. There are certain places that that just are typically more haunted than others. Psychiatric hospitals being one of those. Uh, And I think it comes back to this discussion we've had a lot about energy and the energies that that kind of last. And we during our research, we actually um, we we watched this this kind of mini episode of people who went into the asylum. Um, one of the one of the people actually being Jack Osborne, Ozzy Osborne's son, yep. which, which uh, that's, Prin- that's Prince fun. of Darkness's son making a, a nice appearance. <laughs> Ghost on, hunting on a sci-fi special <laughs> called Portals of Hell. But something that he said really struck a chord, where he talked about this theory that certain um, certain material can actually hold on to energy in the same way a recording holds on to sound. Which is unique, and especially when you consider the construction of this building, which is it's stone masonry. Like, there's very oh, yeah. few American buildings. Like, this thing looks like a castle. So look, we'll post some <gasps> pictures of it. Um, but the, it's a, it looks like a medieval castle, essentially, based on its construction. <laughs> Second to the Kremlin only. Yeah, like we'll have to, what? <laughs> to jump into that in another episode. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you you do wonder, you know, some older buildings. Uh, obviously, it was over it was over a hundred years old by the time it officially you know closed and had operated. You think about how many people had walked through that building, people who who lived and then died there, and then we talk about the cemeteries that were located on the property and that. They were had to extend the cemeteries because so few families came to collect the bodies of their loved ones. Like, it's so unbelievably tragic and heartbreaking. But you have to, I mean, I wonder what the death toll ended up being at that point. Right, facility. like, we don't even have that information. We, we don't have the number of people who died there. We can only imagine that it must have been a massive amount of people. Uh, we we don't even have records of who was even there, you know? The, the fact that so many families didn't come to pick up 
bodies and the fact that people were admitted for so many off-the-wall reasons, it's, it's insanely tragic to think about the people who were really forgotten there and what kind of impact being forgotten has not only on your life, but, but potentially your afterlife as well. And then we go into those who were, you know, labeled as criminally insane and the crimes that were committed. You're essentially loading up one location with psychopaths and sociopaths who went undiagnosed but were committing horrible horrible crimes and continued to do so within those walls because they they didn't have enough they didn't have enough people to take care of them or to keep them isolated from the other other populations yeah i mean i think if we if we just kind of go down the list of 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 the types of crimes that we know were committed there first of all medical crimes I absolutely think lobotomies are medical crimes. Big time. Um, outside of lobotomies, we mentioned a couple of different types of, of things that they did as well. Uh, there are pictures of these tubs, these enclosed tubs that were just filled with ice, ice, ice cold water. And patients were forced to sit in it completely submerged for who knows how long. Um, they were also put into like insulin induced comas, which caused like seizures. So basically the doctors would get their blood sugar to like zero and they would have like epileptic spells and slip into a coma. And yeah, it kept them docile, but it ultimately killed them. Right. And that's, and like on, like today, I think that's, that's terrible to think about. It's like at that point they were trying to keep patients manageable instead of actually helping them. And curing them. Um, so we have all of these medical crimes and, and maybe things that weren't necessarily considered crimes at the time, but certainly inflicted pain and suffering. On top of that, we have reports of patients committing suicide. We, we have people who are mentally ill in, in this place, so we're going to experience all sorts of various types of emotions and extreme emotions, and, and there were people who committed suicide in this building. And we also found, you know, up until kind of like the late 1950s, 1960s is when the first kind of psychotic drugs were being released into like the general, at least American markets. Um, and, and they were found to be semi-successful for a lot of people. So of course, yeah, they had horrible side effects as we saw, um, you know, some evidence of, but they, there was an attempt to start the kind of the process of medicating the mentally ill in the American population. And then you start to wonder though, like when did, government regulation for mental health kind of start to kick in because at this point this hospital was operating on its with, own. with heroin heroin and, yeah and bourbon yeah <laughs> like the, those those are those are the treatments there and and obviously you know we talked about this we talked about the fact that mental health information is still something that is is vastly misunderstood is still something that that we know very little about but but we have come leaps and bounds since since this and and the toll that it really took on patients and workers and families during that time was immense so we we have we have all all sorts of really tragic stories tragic lives, dark, grim ends, uh, violence, and, and gosh, so much more, I'm sure. I mean, you know, it's, it's, again, we go back to those, our discussion of, you know, what kit, what verdicts can we safely make about locations that we haven't visited? But after going through everything and, and looking at kind of the tragic human toll and, and loss of life that was experienced on the grounds, 
I don't feel like we have any other option but right. to say that this location would be honestly, honestly haunted. haunted. So we we obviously didn't get a chance to visit this place, but... Although we hear West Virginia is lovely. Yes, here it's, <laughs> here it's lovely. Uh, you can actually visit this place in a non-pandemic world. They do ghost tours and historical tours because the location was actually a, a Civil War historical site. And this, the location itself was made a historical landmark in 1990. Yeah. So it's, it's an actual valid historical location and of course uh, very beautiful to look at on the exterior uh the interior we'll share some pictures on our facebook it's pretty scary yeah uh so who knows you know maybe in in uh the future when things have uh have changed again for us maybe maybe we can do a, a revisit and, and we'll actually follow up go. Yeah. yeah we could follow up about our, our verdict at uh the I can never say the name right. Trans-Allegheny Asylum. There it is. So thank you so much for giving us a listen. Again, please feel free to send us the places that you want to hear more about. We are still bringing you stories. We are still bringing you hauntings, even though we unfortunately cannot go visit them just yet. We're glad you tuned in to give us a listen. Please give us a, a like on Facebook if you haven't already. And tell your friends. We'll be back in two weeks with more Honestly Haunted. Mm-hmm.